You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. What's up, team? Hopefully your holiday went well, your Christmas went well, and then the uh, New Year's will go well as well. Maybe that's a lot of wells, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's a great time of the year, right? I mean, hopefully you get to slow down a little bit. You get to, you know, maybe take take stock of what's important to you, your life, and like, you know, maybe make some goals for the next year, you know, whatever it is that people do during this time. But I am here bringing you continual conversations with people who are creating independent culture, whether it's, you know, being in bands, whether it's putting out record labels, putting out record labels, how about putting out records on record labels, just doing the dang thing from a DIY perspective, because that's what's important to me. And uh, frankly, that's why it's important to you. If you've just come on to listening to this show, I appreciate it. You can dive back for years and years and years of your listening pleasure. And, uh, you know, I've actually started to go back into the catalog and uh, remix and remaster some of the older episodes uh, because, you know, frankly, some of those might be a little tough to listen to from an audio quality perspective because, you know, I didn't know as much as I do now. But um, yeah, so that's just something in case you are, you know, diving back into the archives. But I have Tim Riley from Souvenirs on, and their new record, Love for the Lack of It, is really, really good. And I've known Tim for quite some time, just through shows and stuff. And it it was one of those things where sometimes friends don't necessarily occur to me to like have onto the show because I'm like, oh yeah, like, you know, I'll get around to them at some point. But uh, this idea came up via their label, good friends of mine, other people records. They're like, hey, how about you have Tim on? And I'm like, oh yeah, absolutely. Let's do this. So uh, Tim and I actually had this discussion the day after uh, Joe Biden had won the presidency. And so it was uh, was such an interesting morning because it was like, oh yeah, like this feels different, but then it doesn't feel different. And, you know, people were, were celebrating outside of his house. He lives in Los Angeles. So, you know, people were uh, you know, making noises with pots and pans. It doesn't come through on the recording, obviously, but um, yeah, anyways, but Souvenirs, great band. If you are a fan of anything, you know, knapsack, mid-90s meets like, um, I don't know, some like, you know, power pop stuff, just like, just a really, really good rock indie record. I, uh, I'm i just, I'm, I'm excited to have them on. So that's what we got. And uh, if you feel so kind, I would like you to do two things. One, you can always email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. I love to hear from you if you have ideas or you just want to say hi. I'm here for that. You can also leave a review in the show on whatever podcast platform you desire. I would appreciate that because uh, that sort of stuff, you know, adds legitimacy to this podcast. And, uh, you know, frankly, sometimes there are older reviews on there that I'm like, you know, I wish uh, that got pushed down a little bit, not just because it's a bad review, but maybe, uh, you know, someone may have said something that I'm like, I don't necessarily agree with that feedback, but you know, what are you going to (laughs) do? Anyways, leave that review because it it will take you 30 seconds and it'll mean a lot to me. I I literally read every single one of those. (laughs) So please do that. Um, and also if you ever, ever want to check out other podcasts, uh, you know, you can always reach out to me as well. Cause I love recommending podcasts and that's what I'm actually going to do next week. Um, which I'll tell you a little bit about after, uh, the chat with Tim. So let's do that right now. Okay. Here's Tim and check out this new souvenirs record. So good. I feel the need like a car in the brake Wanna hear the sound of broken love. What do you need? Doesn't matter if you love me. You, you were all, you were always that person that it was like you know I, 
like we have a million mutual friends and you know every time that we ran into one another it was always you know extremely pleasant i was just like oh tim like you know nice dude like a good guy and <laughs> contributing to the scene in a variety of different ways from you know playing in bands and you know just generally being friends with everybody um it, it, it's interesting because i find that people like yourself that you know kind of really do a lot of different things within music but then stay committed to it um you know are the people that uh you know I guess kind of others get attracted to where it's just like, Oh yeah. Like you need to know Tim because like, you know, he's doing this interesting thing with coffee or his band's doing something cool. Like, you know, do you kind of notice that? Like, especially after you've been involved for, you know, whatever longer than five years, it's like, you're like, Oh yeah. I feel like I should know everybody that is, you know, of a certain age or whatever. Um, I mean, dude, not necessarily. Uh, I don't think about myself in that regard. I think I'm much more short-sighted where like I, I'm bare, I'm like just trying to juggle all the things that I'm doing to keep myself sane. And my self-perception doesn't go much further than, uh, than like not trying to drop the split, the spinning plates. <laughs> right. Got it. Got it. The, I mean, I guess the more so on, I guess the personality aspect of it, just the idea that, you know, you are generically speaking, you know, very friendly. Like you're not, you're not the sort of person that's like, you know, taking up a lot of oxygen in a room where it's just like, Oh, Tim, like he's that annoying guy that just, you know, comes to the party and, you know, totally bumps everybody out. (laughs) I'm sure there's a, there's a few out there who might, might say that. (laughs) Yeah. Fair. I think we all have that. Um, but uh, I guess you're, you're kind of like, you know, open and friendly nature. Uh, do you think that also kind of, you know, helps people be attracted to whatever it is you're doing, whether it's musically or, you know, all, all the other plates that you're spinning? Oh, that's interesting. Um, maybe, I guess I would hope so. I try sure. to, um, I mean, the way that I interact with people is a direct reflection of, what I believe and that bleeds into all aspects of my life. So that demeanor when speaking to strangers, like, I mean, hopefully, uh, you know, as a reflection of who I am and that should sh- like, that also shows in the music or in, you know, like you mentioned the, my like coffee thing, it's, it's all encompassing. So, but it's definitely taken me, a long, a long time to get to this point. To be, I guess, to be like comfortable with the presentation of yourself or what aspect of it? I guess just to be, um, to figure out how to communicate in a way that is, man, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I feel like sometimes I'm overbearing as a person and I, and people who are overtly friendly, I feel like get this where you just come on super strong sometimes because I just want to be personable or something. I mean, uh, at the, at the root of it, like who doesn't want to be liked? True. So, um, no, yeah, I, it's I, I, taking I, me a while to figure out how to, um, how to, how to, how to act. <laughs> You know, yeah, in certain, in no, certain situations. I identify with what you're saying because I, I think it is, um, 
especially if you're excitable as well, where it's like, you know, you're excited about the things that you're involved in or doing, it can come across as very, like you said, you know, overbearing or overwhelming where it's like you meet a person and you're just like, oh, wow, we're into the same things or like, you know, we have the same passions and you're just like, you know, within five minutes, you're like, oh yeah, you're going to be my best friend for life, whether you like it or not. <laughs> like, it's yeah. like sometimes, oh sometimes dude, I, yeah. There's, yeah. I still meet people like that. Um, I still meet people like that. And like, I'm like, oh, this is, a, this is my boy. Right. <laughs> like this is, it, we're like immediately friends. And especially as you get older, like I am, I, I actually met up with my, with my buddy, Albert Corrado, uh, day before yesterday or maybe yesterday morning and he was ex- he was explaining his description of me to somebody else and he was like honestly on paper i would not like you he's like you're vegan you're christian you're straight edge and you're a white guy like you just got the odds <laughs> stacked against you <laughs> so, yeah you're like you're like wait a minute all of these things together like this is a this probably won't be my best friend. <laughs> this is the, this is like some of those things might even dictate what the enemy looks like on paper. <laughs> but, <laughs> Dude, no, I, and that's mostly very, just like the white Christian part. Sure. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. yeah painting with a broad brush there of like, Oh yeah. Like white and Christian, like clearly, clearly not going to have any idea what, you know, the vegan straight edges or whatever. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. But so, I mean, also when I find somebody who is, uh, you know, um, who is like vegan and ha- and like believes in God or some you know it's it's very um it's rare so mm-hmm. it's like oh man like you you we can immediately see eye to eye on some subjects absolutely yeah I I think to your point too that you know as you get older and as you have the you know these this collected experience of you know all of the weird things that you know you and I have experienced in regards to subculture when you meet a person that has that that similarish experience there's just a shorthand that exists that you can't duplicate with anybody else like you can't sit there and be like all right well this is what tours like like you know when you say yeah. that it means something different to you know your average civilian yeah absolutely and even just like, oh my gosh, I don't know if you can hear that. There's like a car parade going by outside. Everybody's honking. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but like, even like within the, I don't know, like the vegan community, it's like somebody just says doomies and it's like, oh, like my stomach already hurts. Right. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. You're like, well, I'm going to, I need to take Tums preemptively. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so kind of, you know, looking at you as a person, um, you know, what I know about you, uh, like were you born and raised in kind of the, you know, Ventura, like greater Ventura area or where did you come up? Um, so I was born in LA. I was born in Whittier. Okay. And, um, we moved all over the, like, kind of the crappy parts of LA. Um, I was born in Whittier. My younger brother was born in San Bernardino. We lived in Pico Rivera. We lived in Riverside. Um, we lived in Pomona. And I think when we were in mm, Riverside, maybe, um, like we were gone at, I think one of my older brother's little league games. I have, I have, uh, five brothers and sisters. 
Um, and we were at one of my older brother's little league games and our house was in the background of like a shooting of some sort, like a, I don't know, like a drive-by shooting or something. Mm-hmm. And so when we came back, there was like police at the house and whatnot. And my dad has worked for Coca-Cola at the time and went in and was basically said, I need a transfer as far away from the city as possible. And they gave right. him the options of, I think, Minnesota or Northern Idaho. So when I was six or seven, I moved to Northern Idaho with my family and then lived there for uh, for five years, maybe. My, when, and then when I was in Northern Idaho, my parents split up. My mom moved back to California. And then my dad went to jail when I was 12 or so. And then uh, me and my younger brother were on our own for like three or four months. And then we kind of made our way back to California. And that's where we landed in Carpinteria, which is in the Santa Barbara area. Got it. Okay. Um, yeah, there's a lot I want to unpack there. <laughs> the because I mean, Northern Idaho, like that. Uh, you know, that's weird. That's a weird place. Um, yeah, we were like 20 minutes from the Aryan Nation capital of the United States. Wow. I, I, but I'm, I'm sure you only retroactively knew that, or did you actually, I guess, recognize that when you were living there? Um, no, not really, but it was because in the small town and I'm saying like the graduating class was probably like 70 people. Like mm-hmm. it was a, a super small town. I was kid. I I'm, I'm half Mexican and I was considered Mexican in this town. Wow. And people would call me like Mexican slurs, which I didn't even know the weight of. Because, like, I was so removed from, uh, you know, the situation. Like, I was in northern Idaho, so I didn't know, like, when these kids call me, like, a beaner, I didn't know, like, really what that yeah, you're meant. Like, why you call, right, you're like, why are you calling me that? What is, I don't really yeah, understand. I literally, yeah. like, was like, okay, is, I guess that's, like, my nickname or something. Because like, <laughs> I, <laughs> I was so it's, young, you just don't know, you know? They're just like, yeah. oh yeah, because I mean, they're probably their parents are probably racist, so I don't know, right? It's yeah, well, assume, it, but yeah, it is. Well, I mean, it's honestly, it's like the first time where, like, you know, you get called a name, and you're kind of just like, like whether you know, or even like a you know a personal characteristic where it's just like, oh, you're fat, and you're like, I didn't really think of myself that way, but I guess I am because you said so, and it's just like, well, what yeah, the what do I do with that? You know, yeah, I get that. Yeah, so. And so then as you were, um, you know, five brothers and sisters, like, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a clan. Like you guys are rolling pretty deep there. Where do you sit? uh, I guess in like, are you the youngest? Are you in the middle? Where are you at? Um, I'm in the middle. Okay. And you're, I presume your mom was obviously, you know, at home kind of taking care of all of you guys because, you know, that's a, that's a lot of people (laughs) in the house Um, to have. Yeah, my parents split up when I was pretty young, and that spread us spread all the kids out. Um, my oldest brother, I think, is thirty six, and then like my two, my three older siblings are like thirty six, thirty five, thirty four, or maybe like a year. Yeah, they're around that age. And then there's mm-hmm. me, 
and I'm 32. And then I have a younger brother who's 27 and a younger sister who's um, 21, 22, 21. Got it. Got it. But yeah, my parents split pretty early and that spread us all apart. Like my older brother, I think, um, went and lived with some family in like Pico Rivera and uh, my younger brother and I like uh, stayed in Idaho with my dad when my parents split for a little while. Um, and then that's how, like when, when um, we were like pretty poor in Idaho. So we didn't talk to my mom for like four or five years after they split because she didn't have a house phone. We didn't have a house phone. And we were just like, yeah, I don't know. It's kind There's of a, no way to communicate. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a crazy, t- it's a crazy thing to think about now, like having my phone on me at all times. Like, yeah, I literally didn't have a relationship with my mom for like five years because we lived in different States and we didn't have phones. And it's like, mm-hmm. I didn't even know her address. I wouldn't, I didn't even know what town she lived in. And I didn't. Right. And then, um, yeah. And then my dad went to jail when I was going into eighth grade and uh, they the they tried to like pick up my brother and I to put us in like social social services tried to pick us up and put us in like a home mm-hmm. and uh, so we just stopped going to school and lived with one of my friend's parents for like a few probably like a month and until my dad was able to write from jail to my grandma. And then she bought us Greyhound bus tickets to Redding, California. Pretty crazy situation, honestly. Because <laughs> yeah. we didn't go to school for like, it was like the middle of the school year. And we did like, we both stopped going to school because they were coming to the school to try to like. Track you down, right. Yeah. Track us down and take us to this like home in uh, this town called Coeur d'Alene, which was like the town over from us. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. That's, they, they have a famous golf course there. Right? That's the only thing I know about Coeur d'Alene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Lake Coeur d'Alene. Exactly. Exactly. But so as you were kind of experiencing this, you know, uh, I mean, for lack of a better term trauma, because, you know, not only had you gone through, you know, your parents splitting up, but then, you know, you get your father removed because of, uh, you know, probably some bad choices he made. Um, like, so were you, you know, do you re- reflect on that time as, I mean, like you said, it was crazy. Like you reflect on that time as chaotic or that was just like, well, we were just operating off of like survival instincts. Like, well, this is what we're going to do now. Yeah. I mean, we were just surviving at that point. Like I was going to my younger brother's teacher parent conferences. And when we went to Reading and finished the school, like the school year. Mm-hmm. And I was, I think 13 or 14. <sighs> Oh my gosh. And my younger brother was like, I don't know, like eight or nine. And they were like, he's behind in literally everything. And I was like, I, I have homework. <laughs> you know, like, right. I, I, I literally can't help him because I'm barely helping myself. Yeah. I was like, um, we're just passing through. Like, I don't know what to tell you. We're just passing through. So, right, right. It was a crazy time for sure. Uh, we just had, you don't, obviously, 
while things like that are happening, you don't think about the effects. You just are, are focused on surviving. Of course, right. And I'm going to guess because you were navigating this with your brother, uh, are, are you guys kind of like the tightest out of the, you know, uh, bunch of siblings or? You know, oh, yeah. You, okay. Yeah, we're very, very close. Um, yeah. Nice. Um, and did you, you know, as you started to like get some semblance of stability, like, you know, once you were able to get down to California and have you know, or start to like figure out <laughs> life in a more stable way. Um, Dude, you know, like, coming to California was like coming back to California, I should say was uh-huh. absurd. <laughs> it was absolutely insane because we were in Reading. My grandma was on like the board for the Shasta national forest. So she didn't really pay much attention to us while we were there. And we were like the whole months we were there in Reading, we were trying to get in touch with my mom and my brothers and whatnot. So then finally one of my brothers came and picked us up and brought us back. And at the time my mom was living in this tiny little beach community called La Conchita, which is not even a town. It's like, a, it's like seven or eight blocks along the beach. And the only store is a gas station that has some groceries Nobody was wearing shoes. Like it was a beach town. It felt like Hawaii or something. So to go from living in a mountain town and being completely landlocked and frankly surrounded by hicks to like moving to a, a beach town where you just wear trunks all day, every day. And also we moved and it was the first day of summer or something like that. Mm -hmm. It was just insane total culture shock right that, that yeah that's uh that's a lot <laughs> to kind of especially too as you you know because like you said you were, were you around like 12 or 13 years old yeah i was i think around 13 or 14 right and like that is already such a you know tumultuous time <laughs> in most people's lives anyway so yeah. like, to have all that thrown at you so like did you uh, you know, because you were kind of like moving around and traveling in a lot of these different circles, did you find yourself having to kind of be, you know, a chameleon in certain respects, be like, well, I, I got to fit in here. So I got to like, you know, not like assimilate where, you know, you're whatever you're calling other people beaners, <laughs> you know, like that was happening <laughs> to you, but you know, just like kind yeah, of trying to fit it. in. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so like, did you have to find yourself kind of, you know, figuring out how to, I guess, get along with these, you know, new groups of people as you're being thrown into them? Well, I mean, now that I can look back on it and see, I feel like my uh, personability, my ability to talk with people and be outgoing probably came from necessity, from the situations that I grew up in. Because not only did we have to move, you know, the, like from, from Idaho to Redding to, um, to Southern California. But even before that, we would move houses like once, once every like 10 to 12 months. So sometimes that would mean I would have to go to a different school. So it was just out of necessity to 
not be socially crippled that I would have, that I would learn how to make friends easily. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause that's a, uh, yeah. Anytime you f- feel like you have, you know, a group, even if it's just one or two people and then they get removed from you forcibly, it's like, geez, man, like this, this took me, it took me a while to get this. Now I got to figure this out with this whole new other, you know, group of people and try to figure yeah. out who I am with this group or whatever. That's hard. But when I went to CARP, uh, when I, like my first, my first year at Carp, Carpinteria High School, when I was a freshman, I don't know how, but I just got, I've kind of just slated right in with um, a couple kids who listen to punk and hardcore. And I had never drank or smoked or anything like that just because of my childhood. So I don't know how it came up. Like one of my, one of my friends who I had English class with had these giant X's drawn on his hands, like during class, he was like Xing up, Xing up in class. And I was like, yo, what are you doing? (laughs) Right. And he's like, I'm straight edge. And I was like, Oh, and he, he's like, do you drink and smoke? And I was like, no, he's like, are you straight edge? And I was like, uh, Define that, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then like, we started hanging, hanging out, and yeah, I was like, yeah, straight edge. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> I I really like that story because that's definitely how I felt as well. Where it's like I didn't do any of those things, and then like I, you know, I for sure was calling myself straight edge really before I knew the implications of it. I felt like it already described me. So. But then once I started to like, you know, navigate the world in that subculture a little bit differently, I was like, oh, so this is like that whole lifetime commitment thing. Okay, got like, you know, I'm cool with that. But like, (laughs) maybe I didn't know that when I drew it on my backpack. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think I realized. I don't know when you're when you're when you're especially when you're a teenager, you just you just do it. Right. You Just dive in. But this this thing felt different because. I'd gone to some backyard shows and stuff like that. Um, but I remember going to see seven seconds in Ventura with like a group of my friends when I was in like ninth grade, maybe ninth or 10th grade. And it wasn't a big show or anything like that, but the energy was fucking insane. Oh, I'm sorry. Can I curse on this? Absolutely. (laughs) You're fine. (laughs) (laughs) The energy was insane. And, I had never been a part of anything like that before. And right. it sounds it sounds so cheesy to be like, no. oh, the energy, it drew me in, yada, yada. But it truly felt like, I mean, I was like still, I was probably there wearing like, you know, like DC skate shoes and like a Volcom shirt or something. And there was kids right. with like charged hair and like skin tight pants and like discharge patches and stuff. But I was just like, whoa, this is this is something I want to be a part of. The holidays are behind you, but that does not mean that you should not look at rockabilia.com because everybody needs a new piece of band merch, whether it's for yourself, whether it's for a family member, a brother, sister, friend, whatever it is. Use this code PC100Words. That gets you 15% off your order. And that's, I mean, that's great. I mean, when we're talking about, you know, you're spending $100 in there, I'm essentially giving you $15. That's the, that's real life math for you right there. 
But Rockabilia is a fine purveyor of merch that is all officially licensed by the bands. They get paid. You're supporting an independently run business out of the Midwest, out of Minneapolis. They ship it to you fast and quick. They have great customer service. It's just one of those things that I am so passionate about because I feel like when independently run businesses are run well and they've been doing it for a long time, they deserve your support. It's not just one of those fly by night companies that you're like, oh man, like this is gonna be gone in two years because, uh, you know, frankly, they have no idea what they're doing. Rockabilia is in it to win it and they're offering you this specific discount code. So PC 100 words, 15% off. You're a winner. The show's a winner. Rockabilia is a winner. There's no reason that you should not be shopping for all your band merch needs on rockabilia.com. So visit it now and find your new favorite piece of merch. I like the idea when you, when you yourself think you're being like edgy in some capacity, whether it's like, yeah, I'm wearing this like, you know, cool surf brand no one knows about. And then you see people who are like, you know, 10 times deeper and you're like, Oh, I'm nowhere near that. Okay. Got it. I think I, I, I literally had a puka shell necklace on necklace on, I think. So good, dude. It's so good. (laughs) And so I'm going to guess, like, I mean, like you mentioned your, you know, your faith, were you raised with that? And that was kind of like something that carried you through, you know, all of your kind of experiences, or is it something that, you know, you were raised, you kind of, you know, questioned your faith and then you kind of came back to it, you know, walk me through that evolution. Um, yeah, I was definitely raised in the church, but um, when you're, when, when, I mean, that's obviously, I'm speaking for myself here, but when you're young, you look up to your parents to a certain point. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I, I love both my parents still to this day. I have my disagreements with them, but I love them both and I still talk to them uh, on a semi-regular basis, but they were great examples of how not to, uh, what's the term I'm thinking of, how not to live Uh (laughs) maybe for lack of better term. And they were, my dad was very involved in the church and he was just fucking it up, man. And, but I still, I mean, at, at a young age, it's it's crazy when religion is thrust upon you. You know, mm-hmm. it's like how, how, like I'm getting baptized before I even know what that means and what the weight of that is. So it's a really strange thing to grow up in the church like that, and especially when all of this stuff happened, where um, my life fell apart, and you know, I'm just like between my parents and stuff like that, it's like, ah, like how is this God's plan? Mm. So I definitely probably throughout like most of my teen years, uh, wouldn't have identified as a Christian and I'm still very hesitant to identify as a Christian, although Mm -hmm. I w I will, I will, but it's with an asterisk because I see these people out here praying at like the polling stations and stuff. And it's straight up embarrassing. Right. <laughs> They're making and, us look bad. Dude. And honestly, like you saying that it definitely, I mean, it resonates with me in the same way that like, you know, I mean, I'm 40 years old and I still call myself straight edge. And like, I, this, the reason that I do that is like, uh, is because I feel that if I, 
it to the same way that you're talking about where it's like, oh yeah, like don't view the dumb straight edge kids. Like, you know, yeah. like those people are in every, they're in every sub group, sub category. Right. They're right. literally everywhere in surfing, in coffee, in snowboarding, in running. <laughs> yeah, people, that's true. They just, and it's not their fault. Like they just yeah. don't know what they're doing. Yeah, no, it's a very, it's a very, very good point and drawing the, the, you know, the two points between there. So, um, and so, yeah, so, um, I think I came back around to, um, my faith, I guess we would call it. I was, it was the year after around, it was around when I first moved back, I was maybe 14 or 15 and Mm -hmm. I fell off the second story of a building trying to jump into a pool and I fell 32 feet and I hit a table on my way down and dislocated both my hips, went into a seizure. And the table that I landed on, this was on, it was on Valentine's Day and everybody was eating brunch. I was just a shithead kid and I was like, I'm going to jump into the pool and splash everybody. Of course. And some of my friends were like, yes, awesome. Do that. Right. Good idea. Yeah. <laughs> and, so when I tried to jump, I was up on the handrail, and when I tried to jump, the rail gave out from underneath me, and I just fell. I, I reached back, tried to grab like the post, and it just kind of jerked me sideways, and uh, I fell like horizontal down, hit this table, and the table that I hit was a doctor, and he immediately stabilized me. Um, I was obviously knocked out. Mm-hmm. I came to in the ambulance. They like hit me with the smelling salts and they were just questioning me. Oh gosh, this is insane. They were like, uh, were you trying to kill yourself? And I was like, what? No. And they're like, are you drunk? And I was like, Oh, I'm straight edge. And they're like, what is that? And I was like, I don't, it's punk hardcore. I just- yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know the time. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, like just like woken up from being knocked out, trying to explain the theory of straight edge to these EMT people. (laughs) (laughs) So insane. But, um, I would say, uh, after that, I, I ended up not breaking a bone. I dislocated both my hips and I couldn't walk for like four months. So I was in a wheelchair, but I was out of the hospital same day after a bunch of CAT scans and like a $90,000 hospital bill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but from there I was like, okay, maybe that was an act of God. So I loosely identified with uh, my history as like a person who had a relationship with some sort of higher power mm-hmm. um, as I got older. And then, um, yeah, I kind of just came back around to it in my um, late teens, early 20s. I, I started going to church. Um, I mean, even by myself when I was in when I was in L.A. When I moved to L.A., I would go to church by myself. Um, there's a lot that I don't agree with, but I think at the core of it, what you what I get from it is being good to other people and having my um, relationship with a higher power 
being the um, like the catalyst for me to be good to people and show empathy and grace and compassion to people when they don't deserve it because that's when they need it most. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I'd still, and like I said, there's, it's like to be, I feel like to be a quote unquote Christian, there's these check marks that you have to, there's these boxes that you have to check off. Like you have to believe everything in the Bible, but I think not enough people talk about how they just sometimes we just don't understand the Bible. Right. Well, it's like the notion of, um, you know, it, in the Bible, it says you can't wear cotton. So it's like, okay, well, yeah. well we're all, we're all sinners then apparently. There's <laughs> so, just yeah. some things that, I mean, yeah, there's, it's just, it's just so much context. Also like from a book that's been translated so many times over so many years. Yeah. People like to take Bible verses completely out of context. Um, yeah. And that's like the, and that's what I think the Bible is all about is what's happening like within this verse, what's happening within this set, this just like this passage. And then like within this book, this chapter, you know, and then the overall arching story, there's just so many different layers to what each verse means that when somebody's, when you go into like a weight room and you see the, like uh, through God, I can do all things Bible verse up on the wall. That's not really what that was really like referring to. That was somebody writing a letter from jail and them being imprisoned for no reason being like, I can withstand this time in jail without food. So it's like, it's not necessarily, I don't know. We just, we always like to make things be about us, but um, it's not necessarily like that all the time. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. And so then as you started to, you know, get steeped in the subculture and like you said, you know, get exposed to, you know, seven seconds and straight edge and all that stuff. The, uh, I presume that it, you know, that basically, you know, kind of built your identity in regards to, you know, you just going to shows and then like, did you, I guess, like, did you want to play in a band kind of like right away or was that something that you kind of came to a little bit later? No, I, I mean, I definitely, I'm growing up, um, around, um, like all my, all my best friends growing up were the band this like this hardcore band called well initially it was called join the dance and then it was called ability and then from ability sprung violation so these were these were like my circle of people and i was watching them do this thing and i was just going to their shows like you know we would pack cars and go to the shows and everybody would just lose their minds and that was what i wanted to be a part of for sure. And I did, I did, I played guitar for a while, but I never really wrote like, um, like hardcore music. It it just never came out of me. I don't know. My, I guess I've been, I was just too emotional or something. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not hard, so I can't do that. So I gotta do this other thing. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, and, um, 
so uh, like, did you have, I guess, kind of, you know, uh, for lack of a better term, you know, a, a life path as you started to, you know, get through school and then like, you know, did you go to college? Like, was there like, oh yeah. Cause I mean, clearly, you know, the idea of being involved in music is always something that's very exciting, but it's not like there's a roadmap to be like, oh yes. Like, well, there was I- actually a very specific, so I got, I was like, um, I was really into sports. I loved playing sports. And that was also one of the things that made it easy for me to uh, mesh with other people is that I was like pretty good at sports growing up. And when I went to um, Carpi, I started playing football and I got pretty good at football. And I think in my junior year, I started getting like offers to go play defense at a few different colleges. Um, to go be a cornerback and I was starting to come to this split in the road where it was like, like football is going to be your life and you're going to go to college for it and you're going to go play and this is, and you're going to be surrounded by these people or you're going to do something else. And this was like also at a point in time where I was like really diving into punk and hardcore. Mm-hmm. So I quit playing football and just started like going to more shows. <laughs> right, right, right. Because you- I hated all the, I, I, I love, I love the game and I loved playing, but all of the people like the, the, like the jock mentality that comes, that comes with it mm-hmm. just never sat right with me. And I didn't like being around all the people. And it, it, I appreciate you articulating that because I, I think it, it, it does. It's like you like, you, the, you know, this is going to sound like totally cliche, but like, you know, the purity of the sport. But then like when it actually comes down to the people that are involved, you're like, well, I like them as teammates, but like there's a lot of stuff that like it just doesn't feel yeah, like there's there's certain actions that don't feel right, and then but this other side feels really cool, and it feels like not only is there a community, but I kind of you know feel much better vibes over there. So I, I get why that. Yeah, it was definitely a, that was a big fork in the road in my in my life, and then I ended up going to uh, the city college in Santa Barbara for two years and got my associate's degree. Well, actually, this is kind of a funny story. I have a friend from the Michigan area who I met at, I think I met him at This Is Hardcore. Mm -hmm. I don't even know what year at this point in time, maybe like 2009 or something. But I had heard from one of my friends that I was there with, they were like, yo, there's this dude who looks just like you who's here. (laughs) He's like walking around. He looks just like you. I thought you were him. And I'm like, okay. And then another, but another buddy comes up and they're like, yo, I was almost going to wave you this dude down. Cause I thought he was you. He's got, but he's got these like giant tattoos on his legs. And I'm like, okay, like, this is weird. Why are you keep telling me about this? And then I'm walking to like the, the Mart, like down the street from the fest. And I see this dude and I'm like, oh fuck, this dude does look like me. And we're like, he's with somebody and I'm by myself. And I was like, yo, I think people have been telling me that they've been seeing you thinking that we look alike and he's like what's up my name's james <laughs> and like that was one of those situations where you just kind of become friends with somebody immediately 
mm-hmm. and this dude was going to school for uh, chemical engineering uh, out in Michigan somewhere. And he came out to Santa Barbara one time and stayed with me. And he took, um, I had shaved my head and retook my ID card picture to look more like him. He went in and took my math assessment test and assessed me out of like five semesters of math that I was supposed to take because I was terrible at math. Oh my gosh, dude. Yeah, it was insane. <laughs> I can't believe that. I just love that that like worked because like that was probably at the precipice of like, you know, like more technological advances within schooling to make sure that something like that would never happen. <laughs> but that's so good. They never saw it coming. So good. I was like, oh my God, you have no idea what you just did for me. Because I, I was terrible at math. Mm-hmm. And I had set, assessed into the lowest possible math. So that was going to slow me down by probably a year just to get my, uh, you know, like my associate's degree before I wanted to go into like a specific thing. And he had assessed me out of all of that. And I was like, oh my God, like, what do you want? He's like, friendship, baby. I was like, all right, I'm going to buy you breakfast. <laughs> That's so good. I love that. <laughs> And, uh, then, you know, once you, uh, cause you, you, you toured, uh, I mean a lot obviously with, with title fight, like, you know, helping them with like merch and like all that sort of stuff. Was that kind of your first touring experience or, you know, had you done, you know, I'm sure you did like little weekends with friends and stuff like that. Well, but was that- actually my first oh, okay. proper touring experience was I went to the East coast with violation. Okay. Uh, I think it was their first East Coast tour, and somebody messed up the van, the van reservation, and the van wasn't big enough for all of us. Oh, no. So the first show was in Richmond, and I obviously didn't know this because I'd never been to Richmond. But Violations playing, and I'm hitting the pit like a young like a young guy, and I start circle pitting. And somebody like either tripped me or straight up just like knocked me down. Mm -hmm. And I was so confused because that was not like the vibe of the shows that I had been to previously. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know? Yeah. You're like, oh, this is the East Coast. Okay. This is different. Whoa, that was weird. So the first show was in Richmond. And then that night, basically the band decided they were like, yo, Tim we got to leave you here. Like there's not enough room for you. And also I think I may or may not have had a record at this point in time. So I couldn't go into Canada. <laughs> oh yes. I think that was probably the right, right call. <laughs> <laughs> but I got, I ended up getting into Canada later, but that's not the point of the story. I, um, yeah. So I stayed, I was like, all right, fuck it. I don't care. I met some dudes from, uh, the shore from like Jersey shore Mm-hmm. The next day, we all went swimming and stuff, and that was another one of those situations where you just meet a group of people, and they're pissing on each other and throwing shit at each other, and I was like, these are my people. Right. <laughs> you're like, oh, I get it. Yeah, I get where you're coming from. <laughs> I was like, dude, this is a, a, a level of wild that I, couldn't, I could never have got to on my own and with the people that I was surrounded by but mm-hmm. I felt it deep down. 
That's that's really really funny. So I, I'm I'm guessing because of your kind of adventurous spirit, like you liked touring, you liked that aspect of it, and kind of being out there and you know meeting new people and all that sort of stuff. Oh yeah, it was awesome. I ended up just like floating around the East Coast for two weeks until my <laughs> return flight. Nice. <laughs> and that was my that was my first uh, quote unquote like real touring experience. Right. <laughs> that's so funny. And so then, you know, souvenirs obviously comes into play. Like, cause you, I mean, th- this for all intent and purposes is like your first quote unquote serious band, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Uh, um, uh, but do not discount flash forward. It was a nineties cover band that I was in when I was in high school and we covered Hootie and the Blowfish and Eve six. Did you, <laughs> did you play guitar and sing in this? I think I just sang actually oh, oh, wow that's was, impressive dude it was the the dude nathan who played guitar in violation mm-hmm. um and chris who played bass in violation and um i'm trying to think i want to say it was Derek who also drummed for violation that's impressive so you you guys uh gigged around local parties we honestly had banging show we played the loft in ventura it was sick Ooh, wow. That's it. I love that. <laughs> okay. I, I, I apologize. I, I will not discount your first serious band experience with that. Um, but that, you know, I, as you know, souvenirs started to, cause you know, I, I think a lot of, you know, what you've been able to accomplish too, you know, not only, you know, is the, I mean, in my opinion and other people's opinions, the band, you know, musically good and what you guys are doing is good. But a lot of people, like we were kind of talking about at the top of the conversation, you know, want to like help you out and support you, whether it's like, you know, touring with the story so far, like, you know, these are people who are obviously your friends and like, they don't necessarily need to like, you know, hook you up with the tour, but they do because they're like, Oh, the band is awesome. And like Tim is our good friend or someone else in the band is our good friend. So like, do you kind of, I guess, do you kind of see that obviously happening for you and being able to, you know, get opportunities that you might not normally get just based on the relationships? Oh yeah, for sure. doing music is so so hard and it's so clicky and it's like especially i don't know if 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 you're it's the shelf life of bands i feel are so are so small i mean especially in hardcore the shelf life of bands yeah two full lengths right yeah seriously (laughs) yeah and that was kind of everything that we had known actually i should i should mention that souvenirs was probably the product of the band previous um, that I was in with um, some people from the band minus it was called all is fleeting. And Mm, that was basically like a kid dynamite rip band. So then um, John who was playing bass went and played in nails and then I think Austin went to uh, and started playing with Minus, and also Riley played with Minus as well. Um, and then I think that's when I kind of started doing souvenirs. It was like the evolution of All Is Fleeting, I'd probably just a bit slowed down, and with sure. me writing mo- the majority of the songs instead of um, Austin. Got it. But um, yeah, as far as getting tours and stuff go. It was, it was only friends hooking me up. I feel it's just mm-hmm. it, starting a band from nothing, and especially at this point in time 
where when you come from the background of um you know hardcore shows and whatnot it's like you get a van you book your own shows you go out there and you eat shit for at least a couple full u.s tours you lose money you sleep in shitty places you get scavies twice um <laughs> not, not, not speaking from personal experience of course no, I had scabies twice. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <I'm joking. laughs> that's great. That's great. Fuck it. Yeah, that's it's true. I mean, that's obviously what you do. And then, you know, you, by the good graces of people that you call friends, you're able to, you know, be able to, you know, maybe go on larger tours or whatever. And then like, you know, hopefully you'll, in turn, you'll be able to obviously pay back the favor in some capacity to, you know, either younger bands or yeah. know, just, like that sort of full circles nature definitely happens. Yeah, for sure. It's just, I, I don't, it was just, um, I don't thinking about the history of souvenirs is really interesting. Cause I feel like we've had some amazing opportunities and those are solely based on, I feel friendships. Like mm-hmm. when I moved to LA, I got inducted into this really weird circle of people through this, game called werewolves of course the good the good old werewolf games yes i I never went personally but yes very aware (laughs) and one of the people there was davy havoc and we ended up becoming friends and that led to us doing pretty much two full us's with afi right which is absolutely insane to to like say as a person (laughs) who grew up going to the skate park with like black sails on in my CD, like portable CD, my Walkman. <laughs> right, your disc band, yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. No, it's inc- it's incredible, and I think it does. It, it really spawns out of you know obviously the community that we come from because it's like people generally speaking want to help other people i mean there's always that weird competitive nature that happens with bands at a certain level or whatever but you know you you strip a little of that veneer away you are like, oh, no, like, I, I just want to hang out with my friends and go on tour. Yeah, and it's, it's that, that is a very interesting thing that you bring up because that elitism is, is so thinly veiled in the music industry, in music in general. Like, you have friends that you meet, and touring is another one of those things that we talk about that it's like you meet somebody and you just, you go through these just like trials of van problems and staying in crappy places and whatnot. So you feel like you have this instant camaraderie with people who are also touring and you make these friendships and it's not like it's expected of people ever, but there's some people who are like come off and you end up being like genuinely friends with them. And they're like, yo, like, and their band's bigger than yours. And they're like, dude, we want to bring you guys on tour. And there's people that you meet that say that, but they don't mean it, you know, because I think that this weird dated competitiveness in music is still prevalent in their lives where they're like, Oh, like we need to bring on tour, uh, like a cool new band, like a band that's going to distance us from pop punk. And it's like, as as like i mean and when we're younger like like of course we're just trying to 
get our band reviewed by Pitchfork. Yeah, of course. You know what I mean? And like, we'll want to be on sub pop or something like that. But looking back on it now, I, I totally understand the like how we got to where we're at but now i think that um my definition of success has changed so much like back back when we were touring and trying to really like go after it i was like i gotta make this my living like i gotta live off of playing music and just grind and grind and grind and now i i mean that that would still be cool, and that's not, I, I haven't closed that door. But now, more so, it's like, can I be honest with myself and create something original in the realm of music that is going to affect somebody in a positive way? If I can do that, then I'm being a successful musician in my eyes. And right, like the, us never selling out like crazy shows is not going to dictate my idea of success and that's what i see happening in a lot of my counterparts who are in bands their careers inevitably like crest you know they have they'll have like a big record or something and then that's just like everything it's so the music industry is so fleeting that things go by so fast and then that record's five years old four years old or whatever and then they're out of the spotlight and people just are like, ah, oh, I'm, I'm quitting this band. I'm not, we're not going to do this band anymore. And it's like, well, what did you do it for in the first place? <laughs> right. Totally. Especially in the, in the age in which we all live in now where like, you know, bands don't theoretically need to break up. It's like, you can still be, you know, quote unquote active and just still, like you said, putting out, you know, authentic music that will hopefully affect people. And like, that's like you said, that's the core component of it. Yeah. Yeah, the and specifically because I know that you went through, you know, you've gone through a lot of change in the past couple of years in regards to like, you know, your health, like your your mental well being, like you know, you've documented that on the new record pretty, you know, appropriately. Um, but you know, kind of walk me through that a little bit in regards to, um, you know, your autoimmune disease and like, you know, I, I just know that you have been through a lot personally, and you know, for you wanting to put yourself out there. Um, you know, that takes a lot of consideration when you're trying to express yourself, you know, not only musically, but then lyrically as well. Yeah. Um, this is why I don't, I try not to read reviews of stuff. Right. Like we just put a new record out. And um, when this whole situation was starting, somebody told me, oh, you should keep a journal. I'd like come into contact with somebody who had an autoimmune disease and they're like, you should keep a journal just so, you know, you could look back or whatever. And I was like, Hmm, that's seems weird. I'm not really a journal guy, but whatever. And then once they started, um, working on the record and then I started uh, writing out lyrics, it was like, Oh, this is, this is the journal. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I get it. Like, it doesn't need to be the day to day journaling. This is like yeah. okay. Oh, but it. I bring up I bring up the reviews because it's such a it's such a funny thing to have somebody like assign stars to this process. You know, it's like here's right. me like trying to. Um, I'm just recalling the the things that I've gone through, and and like somebody like wrote a review about the record, and it was like ah, it's it lacks energy. It's kind of boring. And I'm like, 
motherfucker, I was on medication. I couldn't <laughs> tie my shoes. Okay. <laughs> right. Sorry. Uh, pretty low energy there, dude. <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I guess for people that don't know, I, a couple of years ago, woke up with my hands and wrists swollen and um, I went to the doctor and they tested me for rheumatoid arthritis and it came back negative. And then I went on a tour right after that. Um, it was the last tour. I think one of the last tours that souvenirs had done, it was like with basement and citizen. And over that tour, the arthritis spread throughout my entire body. And by the time we'd finished, I was like barely playing guitar on stage. I was taking like six or seven ibuprofen to try to keep the swelling down. And my fingers were swelling up like crazy. We probably sounded like shit. And I apologize for anybody who saw us <laughs> on those last, on those last few shows. But, um, I ended up doing probably like 60 different blood tests, MRIs, uh, x-rays, all kinds of stuff like that. And, uh, I'm still technically undiagnosed, but I'm being treated for rheumatoid arthritis and, um, for probably a year and a half after that tour, um, my wife and I spent that time trying to find different, seeing different doctors and trying to find different, uh, treatments. And I just got, I got pretty bad. Um, I lost most of my motor skills. I couldn't tie my shoes. Or I couldn't put my socks on. I could probably walk like a block before mm-hmm. I was just in excruciating pain. Uh, I didn't sleep for more than a couple hours at a time because my limbs would go numb. So I'd have to like stand up and, uh, get blood flowing to my hands and legs. And that lasted about a year and a half. And it was, it was so insane. I also didn't have health insurance because I was on Medicare. And when, uh, Amanda and I got married, I lost my health insurance. So it was like mm-hmm. the perfect window for me to have a life changing event. So right, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't, I lost my mobility. I gained like 30 pounds. Um, we were probably like 10 or $15,000 in debt at this point, just from seeing doctors and trying different treatments and doing different treatments is tough because you have to do them for a few months before you know that they work or don't work. Right. It was brutal. And each day was, yeah, I got super depressed. Um, I think at one point in time, I told Amanda, I was like, if I didn't believe in God and have you and Wendy, I would have probably tried to kill myself by now. And she was like, all right, you got to see a therapist or something. Yeah. And I was like, no, I'm good. I'm just letting you know. And she's like, no, you can't say that. And you can't say that and I can't do not do anything about it. Right. So then I started seeing a therapist for the first time in my life, which is pretty cool, but it's kind of a, when you pull the curtain back on that situation, it was not easy to see a therapist. Like the, the logistics of it, like finding a therapist that, cause then I finally had insurance and then finding a therapist that accepts your insurance and stuff like that. I mean, People talk about how like the 
healthcare system and whatnot is is very flawed and corrupt. But geez, when you get an autoimmune disease, it really pulls the curtain back quick mm-hmm. and shows you that this is absolutely fucked. <laughs> sure. Like whatever system we have right now, it does not work. And I, I'm telling you from firsthand experience, it is the medication I'm on right now costs $5,000 a month. That's $60,000 a year just to be able to function like a normal person. And they obviously have these grants that you can apply for and stuff like that. And I'm on some sort of uh, program insurance program where, uh, you know, I pay like a percentage of that. But when they told me that I qualified for it, I wasn't even happy. I was like, who can afford that? Of course. Yeah. You're like, this is literally, you need to work a full-time job just to pay for this. Yeah. It's, it's so, it was so infuriating, but, um, yeah, I I don't know. And so so then once you, I guess once you, uh, you know, started to kind of figure out a solution for that and then, you know, you started to, for lack of a better term, like feel, you know, more normal and obviously get your mobility back. Um, you, you know, when people reach those fork in the road moments of like, okay, now that I'm, I'm feeling like I'm entering back in the world, sometimes it's easy to kind of obviously fall back into, you know, old unhealthy patterns or whatever, but it, you know, you kind of took the opposite approach and, you know, you've really dedicated yourselves to running and, you know, being active from that perspective. So like what, I guess, yeah, motivated so, you to do that. Um, if you were to ask me if I could go back and and if I could avoid this, this last part of my life, I don't think I would. And I say that because I wouldn't be the person I am now without the, the, the suffering that I went through. Mm-hmm. Like that, I, I think that there's a huge le- lesson in suffering when you go through that just completely breaks down. Like, I lost all the things that I would describe myself. You know, if you're meeting somebody and you're like, oh yeah, like, what are you into? You're on like a blind date, say with, with a guy. And he's like, yeah, so what are you all about? It's like, oh, I play guitar. I run, I snowboard, I surf, I do all these things. But it's like, once those are all taken away, it's like, then what, then how do you describe yourself? Are you patient? Are you kind? Like, do you show empathy? These are the things that I was faced with when I lost my ability to do all that stuff, you know? So I, I really just um, kind of leaned into that. And I was like, okay, like, what's the lesson here? How can I become better from this? Because the other fork in the road was depression and probably my marriage ending. And probably me just like going to a super dark place. Right. No, it's a, it's a really, the, the things that, uh, you know, you, uh, don't control, like obviously all, like all of the, the, uh, you know, identity politics that people go into, i.e. all the things that you're talking about when you remove those and like, you really do <laughs> look inside yourself to like, who actually am I? Like, you know, am I these labels? Am I these things? And it's like, well, 
I guess if you peel that away, like, you know, at, at the core of it, like, what does that actually mean? And, you know, not everybody has the, uh, I mean, I use the term luxury, but like, you know, not everybody has the wherewithal to be able to, you know, confront that head on until you get all those things stripped away. Yeah. And that was, that was what it was. It was like, okay, I can either try to try to become like, I don't even, I don't know if better person would be the right term, but sure. Try to become more patient because I wasn't patient. I mean, as humans, we are deeply flawed at the core of us. I believe that we are just flawed. So we have to make an effort to do the right thing. I feel it's mostly easier to do the wrong thing a lot of the time. So to dig into that and be like, okay, what do I need to work on? Like, I know that I'm super impatient to the point to where like I would walk fast and eat fast and have no patience for people um, who take like a bit longer to understand things and whatnot like that. I, I struggled with that and I, it would have never been addressed if, um, if I wasn't slowed down, you know, I had to rely on the kindness of strangers. Like I was at a gas station coming back from carp one night and I didn't have, uh, I couldn't, I couldn't squeeze the pump hard enough to pump gas. My hands were so messed up mm-hmm. and I literally just like sat there and waited for somebody to come through and I was in like Thousand Oaks or something like that. And the first one was like a woman and I was this old, like older woman. And I was like, excuse me, ma'am, I'm so sorry, but um, I have an autoimmune disease. Can you help me pump my gas? And she was like, no. <laughs> wow. And I was like, uh, I mean, understandable. Sure. And then, <laughs> well, I, I mean, it's a weird ask, but like, you know, you, yeah. you approach it the right way. Yeah. <laughs> Right. I, it's just, it's so hard to come into that. Uh, it's like, how do you ask somebody to do this? But, and then I, you know, somebody else came, some like younger, like this dude actually in like a lifted truck pulls up and I was like, Oh, great. It's like monster sticker. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was like, Hey man, this is going to sound crazy, but I have this thing going on with me. Can you help me pump my gas? And he's like, the fuck bro. And I was like, yo, I know it sounds crazy, but I have this <laughs> condition called rheumatoid arthritis. And he's like, yo, straight up. He's like, my aunt has rheumatoid arthritis. I got you. <laughs> so good. And that was one of the things that was crazy was that from talking about this, I, I like have created relationships and met so many people who have dealt with crazy life problems, these crazy health issues and stuff like that. I mean, it is not uncommon. I'm finding out. And yeah. you just connect with people on such a raw level when you're talking about the health issues, you know, that's something that's been really cool. Yeah, no, that is really cool. Well, Tim, thank you so much for hanging out, dude. I really appreciate you, uh, you know, opening up about your life and your creative pursuits and stuff like that. Cause, uh, yeah, I just, um, I knew it was going to be a fun one, but, uh, you, uh, you, you delivered my friend. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I don't know, man. I just, I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen back to this and be like, oh my God, what did I say? I literally just talk. Like I'm not even thinking I'm sitting here with like, I got two cups of coffee in me. So that was Tim. He 
is in souvenirs. He is the the brainchild, as it were. Uh, the record is called Love for the Lack of It. It's out now on other people's records. And you should, frankly, listen to the whole souvenirs catalog. It's really, really good. So thank you very much to Tim. Did I already say that? Well, thank you again, Tim. <laughs> and thank you to the fine people at other people's records for, uh, yeah, just, you know, putting out good music. And, you know, I'm a little biased because they put out my band. But, you know, whatever. That's uh, I, I call it like I see it. Next week, I've got uh, technically a bonus episode as it kind of like falls to the left of center in regards to what I usually do in the show in regards to interviews. I actually wanted to do a, uh, you know, best of podcasts because I love podcasts so much. I mean, it's been my career for the past six or seven years, and uh, I just love them so much. It's it, Frankly, it reminds me of the same sort of feeling I get when like I find a new band. Uh, you know, When I find a new podcast and I love it, I just I get so excited about it. So I wanted to you know, get a compilation, as it were, of some best shows, and I had my friend Deanna Chapman uh, join me on the show. So uh, that's what we got next week. So it's a little left of center, like I said, but if you are looking for good podcast recommendations, I would uh, check out that episode in particular. So that's what we got next week, and Happy New Year's, and please be safe, everybody.